Welcome to Spiritually Gifted with host Joe Dudfield. This show goes deep into the experiences and beliefs of those following an extraordinary life. Guests join us in conversation from around the world, sharing their stories, passions, gifts, abilities and wisdom. A window into the world of the spiritually gifted. Welcome to the new episode of Spiritually Gifted with me, Joe Duckfields. I've got a special guest today, Rachel Tolbert, who is a wellness professional. She's a chiropractor, she's a health coach, and she's a somatic body worker. And Rachel tells me she's come a long way from her career that started in Big Pharma, where she was selling antidepressants and painkillers and such like. But it's through her own experiences and her health challenges that she woke up to her unique gifts and her unique healing abilities. And she now works with a wide range of clients around the world who are looking to be empowered and sovereign and live life to their fullest potential. So it's my great pleasure to introduce Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Joe. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really fascinated by your story um, and I've, I've only looked at it in a limited way. I kind of didn't want to look too much because I want to hear it all firsthand today. But you mentioned about your career starting in Big Pharma, but I want to go back even further to, than that, really. What were you like as a child? What kind of person were you? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I suppose a, a completely mixed bag. I was, I was very sporty. I was very driven. So at school I was doing, I was probably slightly unhealthily competitive. I had to be the best and I had to beat the boys in particular. Ah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just how I was. <laughs> um, but I also had a lot of challenges with direction. Mm. So when I was 16, um, did the O-levels, that gives you my age away. Um, and I came top in the school and nobody wow. expected it. And least wow. of all me. Yeah, I was I was thrilled and horrified at the same time. And I still had absolutely no idea what to do with it. And it felt like I'd lost. I think I was kind of hoping I'd do well in some subjects and that would tell me which way to go. Sure. And I was like, well, what the hell do I do with my life? <clears throat> so I went to see my careers teacher and he said, What are you doing sciences? You're bright. You need to be a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Great careers advice, not. Um, So I thought, well, I don't fancy being a lawyer. So I guess helping people sounds good. So I applied to medical school. Right. I was a a comprehensive in Manchester and I got offered a place at Edinburgh Medical School. Wow. Which is one of the oldest medical schools um, in the UK, if not Europe. One of the best. Yeah. And um, everyone was delighted except me. (laughs) No. So I rejected it because really? it just felt that must have been wrong. massive. It's it was massive for everybody else, but for me it was just like, oh, I really do not want to do that. And then I kind of thought, well, something magical show up and I'll work out what I want to do. And my careers teacher found me a job for a year so I could make some decisions. So I went and worked for IBM for a year. And I was useless at it because I'm not very good with computers. And honestly, it was back in the early days when we just like had PCs and I mean, I sort of scraped through that year. I had a lot of And, and the thing is as well, 
<laughs> yeah, and the thing is as well is that in those days, it, we were pushed to get into IT because it was mm-hmm. seen as the career of the future. I remember yeah. family members saying to me to do it, but it couldn't have been any less in alignment with, yeah. with who I am either. They, they just had a scheme. It was called the Pre-University Entrance Scheme, or PUIs, we were known as. And um, the problem was, by September, I'd started the job in July, I had to put my application in for the following year. Do you remember how the system used to work? Wow, so yeah, I really yeah. hadn't spent any time working out who I was or what I wanted. So I picked my favourite subject and I got a degree in chemistry from Sheffield, right. which honestly, I knew within months of getting there, I picked the wrong subject. I hated it. But I still had no idea what I wanted to do. So the highlight was blowing a sink up, didn't break any glassware, didn't hurt myself, scared everybody in the lab. But I really didn't enjoy my degree at all. It was, I enjoyed being a student. I'd yeah, no, regret. I wish I had gone to Edinburgh, but Sheffield was a great place to be a student. Um, played a lot of hockey, captain to the university, which was fab. But the degree knocked me cold. And I graduated in 92, which was a recession year, if you remember. Yeah, it was, yeah. So I looked at what I had on paper and I got a job in IT in pharmaceutical industry. What? what? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) This tells you how lost I was. Um, Because I was so worried about, I think I had £2,000 worth of debt when I graduated, which nowadays you'd be like, hallelujah. Touching the ocean. I was like, I have to get a job. I have to get a job. I've got to pay it off. I can't be in debt. And I hated the job. That's a surprise. So I think I did it for 15 months and my boss more or less managed me out of it. He said, you're in the wrong job. Um, I just didn't enjoy it at all. So I went into sales. Because it was an easy sideways move to make. I maintained my income, which at the time was really stressing me out. Yeah. And ended up with Smith Klein Beecham selling Siroxat, which was a drug that everyone started going suicidal on. Well, not everybody, <gasps> but people. Wow. Yeah. And I did yeah. that. And I worked in either direct sales or marketing for most of my planters. And again. How, how was your body? I mean, <laughs> so you've gone from being 16 and then you've kind of it's almost like you're on a you're on a kind of travelator or something you're just being moved forward without really having much input just like choices in which way you went but it's not informed by your intuition no well the interesting thing is when I was 21 just after my 21st birthday um I got really sick and I lost two dress sizes which most women is that that's their fantasy isn't it but I was a healthy size 10 stroke 12 at the time so you were literally tiny. Um, um, and I developed type 1 diabetes. So my oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's devastating. It, it was completely because I, I, was, I was sporty. I played a lot of hockey, as I said. And I sort of believed I was indestructible. And I think we all do when we're young. Yeah. yeah. We just, you never expect. Yeah, we do. You don't think about your mortality at all, do you? No. I remember sitting in hospital because they admitted me looking at the syringe going if I don't put that into my body I'm going to die and it was a real it took me 10 minutes to inject the first time what was your mental health like at this point <laughs> I told everybody I was fine of course because I'm British no I was an absolute it was devastating and it probably took me 10 years to even start to get the gift because from being so fit and healthy and someone who was driven like you yeah. say to actually be diagnosed with that, that must have been so isolating as well because no one else really understands what you're going through, do they? It's... No, and some of my friends were amazing. 
I mean, they were really amazing. But the the, the um, diabetes nurse recommended I join the local self-help group. Oh, my God, that was a wake-up because everybody in that group was a poor me or smug. And I went once. Yeah. And I went, this is not my community. No. I don't belong here. I'm not going to be a victim to this. I went very, very, I think initially determined that it wouldn't affect my life at all, which on reflection (laughs) was wrong on reflection because I just wanted to carry on. So the following year, I I captained the university. My first year of diabetes, I captained the university. That's incredible. And I look back and think, and I did it because I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be liked. I wanted all these things that made me feel better that didn't make me feel better. And prove to yourself that you yeah. were normal in inverted yeah. commas, isn't Proved it? Prove that I could do it. I'm, I'm glad I did it. I got a lot from it. But um, I don't think I was the greatest captain that year because I was totally stressed out, most of it. Um, but it happened. And I, to- I totally resonate with it because I was, I was diagnosed with type 2 a few years ago. Mine, I believe, was from all the steroids I was on when I lost my sight. And... Um, I didn't I don't think I realized how many steroids I'd been on for years and years and years and I didn't realize they caused type 2 um and I was exactly the same as you I didn't want to accept I had it I I got it into remission within three months and then thought oh I'm done now I can carry on with my life and of course then it came back with a vengeance and it's you have to give it time and you have to give yourself time to get your head around it and learn how to live with it don't you completely and mine's not going to go away but I've I'm in a very different place with it now. So um, how did that then inform your your spirituality, your life, your choices? Well, when... <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, if I tell you spiritually and me, those, those two words were like, forget it in my 20s. Because I was a real scientist. And if you couldn't prove it, it didn't exist. And I was quite black and white and quite polarized. Um, I look back and I sometimes cringe. But, I mean, that's why pharmaceuticals at the time was just perfect. Because I believed everything my doctor told me. I had some regrets in my 20s about not going to medical school. Because I'd be sitting there as a sales rep going, I'm on the wrong side of the desk. I could do you a job just as well as you. But I didn't want to do that job. And I, I can yeah. see that as well. And basically, I just jumped around different jobs in the, in the, within the pharmaceutical industry. What was that like? Something that motivated me. It, it, it strikes me as it could be quite soul-destroying working in that industry for somebody who is, you know, it evident now that now. you've... Yeah. Ex- um, exactly. But then it was a means to an end and it was something that you knew and that you were good at, I'm guessing. I, was, I, I mean, I was quite successful. I got promoted. I earned good money. It was, I look back, I had to go through that. But the whole industry at the time, I I can't comment on what it's like now because I've been out of it for such a long time, was hard drinking, fast living. We all worked stupid hours. We had big budgets and we drank them and ate them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And the whole culture was, yeah, it was like, like a blur and I honestly was, I mean, in that period, I got married and divorced. <laughs> wow. Just, I just wasn't happy. And I was constantly looking. And I was self-medicating with alcohol, if I'm going to be honest. We'd, I mean, I look back and I sort of go, you know what? I survived my 20s. I did well. 
I came out without any complications in my diabetes, without any further problems. I mean, that's lucky, isn't it? That is lucky. Fight it rather than. I mean, I would never advise anyone to live like I live, but I think the culture has changed a bit. But yeah, this was the nineties where everything was about the car you drove, where you lived, the amount of money you made, and it wasn't a spiritual time particularly. I know the people who did go down that path, but I was so bought into science. Yeah. And the the real turning point. I was going to say, when did that change? When was the awakening? When I was sort of two, when I was about 27, I was still playing hockey, playing in the Eastern Prem because I was in St. Albans by this point. And we had a a cup game on Sunday. And in the warm-up, I remember just bending over and hearing this little pop in my low back. No pain, just like And thinking, well, that didn't sound right. So I played, no problems, won the game, had a good match. The following morning, I could literally hardly get out of bed. I had so much pain in my low back. So I worked, so I managed to get into the car and it's a short drive to work. And I remember sitting in the car park at work thinking, how the hell am I going to get out of my car? My back was so seized up. And my face at the time appeared next to me, just out of nowhere, and dragged this dog-eared card out of his wallet and said, you need to see my car off next and I was like, what's a chiropractor? He's like, just ring him, he'll sort you. Mm. So I managed to get from the car to, the, to my desk and I rang this guy and said, yeah, I can see you this afternoon. Oh, I had to go into central London because that's where he was. And I had the great thing is I had um, health insurance, so the company paid for it all. Oh, fantastic. I know, talk about the pharmaceutical industry getting me where I needed to be. Um Anyway, I ended up seeing a lot of this chiropractor because my back was a mess. And then I hurt my shoulder. And I mean, I had, a, I had injury after injury that year. And he just kept fixing me. I thought, this is really, really, really cool. And I actually had a couple of friends who were chiropractors. But because I was in the pharmaceutical industry and they mm. were in the alternative field, I just never talked about work. It was, it, I, I want to pick up on that word yeah. as well about the alternative because we call it complementary now but yeah. at that time it was oh, seen it was as alternative, alternative. Totally. it was seen as something that was mm. wacky and off and off the you know off of the yeah, norm and completely. you know you wouldn't have heard, I mean now when we hear about a chiropractor I would have thought most people would know they might not know exactly what they do but they'd know roughly what they are um, what we do but yeah yeah I, I, I still get maybe one call a year asking if I can fix someone's bunions they think I'm a corruptist so I do oh my god but in but at the time when you were going off to have chiropractic people wouldn't have even known the the word even though I had two friends who did it I had no idea what it was so um it actually took a very drunken evening with one of my friends (laughs) I laughed that alcohol got me to chiropractic school (laughs) um I think we drank about two bottles of wine between us which even then was quite a lot for me (laughs) And about one in the morning, my friend said, you know what, Rach, I think you should become a chiropractor. And I went, I think that's a really good idea. And I put an application in the following day and they accepted me. No. It was one of those. It was so indifferent. I look back and go, that was a completely crazy, because I didn't know what he did. I think we did talk about it that evening. Mm. I was drunk. (laughs) I don't remember much about it. And he was on the staff at the college. So I just got accepted. Fantastic. I got a place. So that's... And that felt right, presumably. That felt completely right.
So um, you'd done that application, you'd had that accepted. And what were the ramifications of that? Because you're suddenly becoming a student. Was it full time or could you carry on working? Or There's, a, there's actually a parallel story that was going on at the same time. Um, when I made this decision to go to chiropractic school, I'd been off work for several months with a repetitive strain injury. Right. <laughs> what possesses someone whose hands and arms don't work properly to go and become a chiropractor? Because I look back and I go, <laughs> did I really ever make that decision? And I don't know what caused it. I suspect it was a reaction to some medication I've been given. I can't prove it. I will never be able to prove it. But it did make me think about, in the, big, in the longer term, it made me think about how sensitive I am to medications and drugs. I don't and the irony of working for a drug company, yeah, if that's absolutely. the case. So, so I, was on long, I was actually on long-term sick at that point. Ah, so it wasn't so much for transition then. Right. And so, well, I, this, I think I applied probably March, April. I can't misremember the exact timings. And I started in September and I still had problems with my arms and wrists. But for some reason, I laugh. I had this belief that everything was going to be fine. And yeah, it was full time. It was a, a five-year degree. Um, wow. Because I had a chemistry degree, I did it in four. So they exempted me from the first year because I didn't have to do all the basic science. Wow. I honestly thought I was going to go and do clunk click chiropractic, which is what most people think chiropractic is. Can you, can you just, for, just for our listeners, can you just explain in as brief a way, I guess, as you can, what is a chiropractor and what does a chiropractor do? Okay, so in some ways that's a question that's like asking. That's a loaded question because there's so many different interpretations but historically the origins of chiropractic is it's about working with improving the function of the nervous system which is protected by the spine and the brain and your nervous system which is your brain spinal cord and all the nerves coordinate every single function in your body and every single thought and feeling so it's if your nervous system is working really really well you function really well so there's, the research has improved massively since I was a student, and I've been doing a course on it recently just to get up to date with the research. But what they're starting to understand is that the chiropractic adjustments improve how your brain functions. And wow. we've actually got some science to back that up now. Wow. But that's literally the last five years, and I qualified in 2003. So I'm just Gosh. halfway through a course to actually get myself more up to date on the literature. Because when so I it's advancing no all the time. Literature. The science when I qualified was rubbish. I mean, chiropractic. What were people's attitudes people... towards it? You know, if you, you've you've gone from this seemingly responsible job working for a drug company, people have, would have seen you in in a certain way. What were your family's and friends' reaction to you going off and doing something alternative? And they were a mixture. I think outwardly they were quite supportive, but I think they all thought I was barking mad because I gave up a blue chip company job yeah, yeah. to go and do wacky wacky. And that's but what they called it for a long time. But No way. I knew I was in the right place. It was the sec- I got there and my first degree, I used to drag myself out of bed. I went to all my lectures because I wanted to do well, but I didn't go because I loved it. Whereas at chiropractic school, I don't think I missed a lecture. Wow. It was your, it's your purpose. I was just so excited to learn all about the human body and the philosophy of, so chiropractors don't treat things. Chiropractors work with the nervous system. The symptoms that change are the responsibility of the person. So you're just helping them heal better. 
If you remove interference to the nervous system, your body works better. Yeah, it's simple, isn't it? That's all. Kind yeah, of to- it totally makes perfect sense to me. I mean, how is that done? So, how how does chiropractic do that? Is it through gentle body movements? How is it? How is it done? The way it's delivered is very very different. So, you'll find techniques which are the clunk click that everyone knows about. Mm. Yeah, and you'll also, I, I use a tonal technique. So, I use pressure maybe as little as you put on your you put a contact lens in. If you, if you poke your, if, you, if your eye your eye is closed and you poke your eye. Yeah, I use no more pressure than you could comfortably poke your eye with. So very, very, very gentle. The technique I use, we actually get the brain to pay attention to places in the spine that work, and then we whisper. And that shifts the body out of the fight, flight, freeze response into a state of neutrality. So that's what we understand at the moment. And it helps Gosh. the body to then unwind the tension patterns. But other people would go in and crack them, and both give you results. It just depends on how you'd like to work. And I started off in the more conventional, traditional clunk click. And I did that for about four years. And then someone did what I now do, which is called Network Spinal Analysis. And they adjusted me on a seminar. I was doing a pediatric seminar. And um, I said to this girl, I've shown a room with her. She couldn't adjust me. She's like, yeah, yeah, but I do network. I'm like, yeah, whatever. They all work. And so she adjusted me. I felt nothing because I had very poor body awareness, which has been an interesting journey in itself. And I was like, oh. I'm too polite. I'm British. I won't tell her that nothing happened. Let's just go to the bar. So we went to the bar. I had one drink and went to bed. I was completely wiped out. And as far as she's concerned, she just flicked my back a few times and really done very, very little. And I just slept for like, I don't know, 11 hours or something. And I woke up the following morning. My pain had gone. And I was like, what the hell is that? And they'd never taught it in the UK before the technique. You'd always have to go to Italy or America to study it. Mm. And three months after that adjustment, they taught it not only in the UK, but in Manchester, where I was practicing. So it got delivered to me. So I was supposed to be on a structural seminar that weekend with a friend of mine was teaching. And I rang her and said, I'm really sorry, I've got to go and do this. Mm-hmm. So I went and did a network seminar. And the first person I adjusted using network was a man. And I, <laughs> I did one contact. He took a deep breath, burst into tears and ran out of the room. And oh, I was like, him. luckily for the chiropractor, it wasn't a client. <laughs> Thank God. Um, yeah. I was like, oh my God, that is so cool. He came back 10 minutes later and said, Thank you. I needed that. And then my wow. first client on the Monday morning was quite a challenging lady I'd worked with for quite a while. She had a lot of problems, had a big mental health history, and she'd had spinal surgery twice that hadn't worked. And so oh, she no. found that she could manage her pain with regular chiropractic. And she saw me every two weeks. I was her ninth chiropractor, and quote her, you're the least offensive one. I mean, she was an interesting woman. And she yeah. came in my very, very first client after my first seminar. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll, do, I'll check her like I normally do. And somebody who's going to be direct and honest with you as oh well. Oh, my God, so. yeah. I thought, I'll try the network out. And when it doesn't work, I'll do what I normally do. Yeah. So I did a network adjustment, which was the very gentle contact, and asked her to sit up. And she sat up and she went, oh, I have no idea what you just did, but I want more. <laughs> oh, wonderful. And then she changed her frequency of care. So most people who see a chiropractor are trying to come in as little as possible. And right. She started coming in more frequently without me telling her to. And I was like, wow. So it was a real shift of me for conscious of how I approached because up to that point, I was fixing people. I was mm. the doctor. I was the magician, and my job was to find the problem and remove it to fix them. But with network, the contacts are so gentle. You know that you don't do it. You just trigger their body to do it. 
to do it for them which which is a a similar approach because I'm with the NCHC as a as a Reiki master Mm -hmm. practitioner and it's a very similar thing because you're laying on of hands and you know that you're not doing the magic it's their body doing the magic and it, it it's a similar approach it is it's um it's really really different and the cool thing is the guy who developed the technique did some research some qualitative research back in the 90s i don't think it's that great a standard research but it's very interesting and what they discovered was people improved in more than just physical pain so their general health really really improved but people who had body awareness did better what do you see as body awareness how would you describe that it's an interesting question because there's millions of answers. I know that's why you've asked me. In, mm. in terms of just my, if I guess going to my sort of network chiropractic model, it's when you're working with somebody, you want them to be able to feel what's happening in their spine. Yeah. Yeah, because the spine is provides so much information to the brain and the prefrontal cortex, the bit that makes us human. You want your spine to be fluid and people to notice when it's blocked, not to be driven by pain. But as I've explored his second technique, which is somato-respiratory integration, which is a way of linking consciousness to different, different states of consciousness to different states of being in the body. This is really fascinating. fascinating. I'm loving this interview. Yeah. It's just fascinating. You start to realize that people don't know themselves. So for me, mm. body awareness is if I'm having a really bad day, I want to be able to acknowledge it, connect to it, and do something about it. And if I'm having a really good day, I want to be able to acknowledge, connect to it and amplify it. Yeah. And that's, that's what I realized was missing in my practice was up to then. If someone didn't do well, I would take all that responsibility on. Oh, that's so like I was. And now if someone's not doing well, A, I've got more science to support me, which is brilliant. And I have so much more experience now. I'm not actually worried that it's my, my adjustments aren't good enough because I had that for a long time. Being a typical woman, I was never yeah. good enough. Yeah, that was a huge always in the wrong. Yeah, and just it was always my fault. But also, I could see how engaged they are, and the language of course, matter respiratory integration (SRI) for short, which is manageable. By how they're talking, I can hear whether I can hear how they're they're dealing with it. So someone might come in and say, "My back's shocking today. I've got loads of pain, and I just have no idea what happened," and they're feeling completely helpless. Well, they might come in and go, it feels like I'm retracing something old. I'm really excited about this. It's telling me something. Or I've got pain again. I know I've let myself slack. I'm, and, and they know that they need to take more responsibility. So you get sort of two mindsets. You get the people yeah. who want to, or some people come in and go, it's your fault. It's not working. Yeah. <laughs> they're the ones that are most hard yeah. to work with. Yeah. You can hear their language. And if, if they have been studying the SRI with me, I can say, you know what, I think it would really serve you to go home and do this. Because mm. you can empower people. If, if I think that's the thing, biggest thing I've learned is most people actually want to be involved in their healing. Of course they do. And they don't like, and that's one of the challenges, I think, being a medical doctor, is they do take all the responsibility and then they go, this, this pill will deal with it. This pill will fix you. And, and let's face and it, it we're in a society where people expect a magic pill. Yeah. They don't necessarily want to do the work or make the changes yeah. because we're, um, we're in a consumer society where I buy it, I get it, it gives me what I want. And with, with your health, it's never going to be that way. Not in my experience. Well, I know you've had some health challenges as well, but I do find people who come in and they expect me to fix 50 years of bad habits in two weeks. And I'm like, yeah, or one session. 
Yeah, like, A, I'm not going to fix anything. B, healing takes time. But the good news is it doesn't take anywhere nearly as long to unwrap what you've done to your body as it does to put it in. Because your body is programmed to be healthy. It's just that your lifestyle and your habits and your thoughts are working against it. Can I just can I just pause you there? It's huge. I just just say that again for us. I know it's going to be hard for you to remember what you said, but that about unwrapping it. Can you just say that again? I think everyone needs to hear that. So most people say say you're a fifty something and you've spent a, a lifetime with unhealthy habits, thoughts, unresolved stuff from your childhood, marriages, whatever. It doesn't take fifty years to unwrap it because your body is programmed, it's designed to be healthy. But if you keep putting blocks in the way, and we have lots of different blocks, and if your spine is not working properly because your spine carries messages from your body to your brain, and if you have sent shit messages to your brain, the brain gets shit input. Excuse my language. No, it's brilliant. I love that word. (laughs) I could have said it a lot worse. So (laughs) you need to get your body to a state so it can heal. Yeah? And you could do so much yourself and you can heal so much faster. So people, I think most people who have chronic problems, I'm going to work with for six to 12 months and or longer, depending on what their lifestyle is. Do you tell them that at the beginning to manage expectations because of that people think it's instant? And It depends on the conversation I've had. What I usually do with everybody is I start off with a short block of care to evaluate how they respond because I have to know they're in the right place. And a lot of people will get some symptomatic relief in four to six, eight weeks. Mm. They'll get a lot of improvement. There are some people, obviously, there's more stuff going on. But I'd say 80% of my clients have a lot of improvement in a short period of time. And then they have a choice because I offer three levels of care. I do basic care, which is restored, which is basically get rid of the pain, crises care, get me feeling like I'm a human being again. Yeah, And then you can have reconstructive care where you literally try and change how their spine is functioning because that changes how their nervous system is functioning. And that can really minimise the chances of things coming back. And if something has been there for 30, 40 years, you need to change a bit more than just getting rid of your pain because it's lasting Exactly, yeah. And then I work with people, some people have worked with me for over a decade because they want to be well. But they also fall into the personal growth and that's where... I've used the SRI a lot more. Can you tell us about the SRI a little bit? So SRI is, is Donnie Epstein's other technique, and it's always been like little sister. He wrote a book back in the 90s called The 12 Stages of Healing. And it talks about I know that book. states yeah. Yeah, of human yeah. consciousness. And with each state, it's basically what he's, what he's doing. He's, he's linking your perceptions, so your thoughts, feelings, and emotions to your behaviours. And the third missing link that's not really talked about in the book is to the structure of your body. So if you if you take mm. stage one, stage one is about being helpless and disconnected. So if you if you think about someone in that, if I describe that person, chances are they're going to have stooped posture. They're going to do yeah. Their behaviours are going to be well, nothing works. So what's the point? Yeah, they're going to feel really, really helpless. Yeah, yeah. And most people don't live there, but some people do. Most of us just visit there. Yeah. Now, the stage one exercise teaches you about finding your internal resources. And it's a lot easier to practice it when you're not expressing that consciousness. So you can really learn, how do I connect to my body? What's my magic recipe? Because if you can do that when you're not in stage one, you can start to build a different relationship with your body. 
so we, 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 we sort of observe that some people are best if they connect to the body by focusing on the breath. Some people actually need to observe how their body moves. Breath can get in the way. Other people need to focus on the energy in their body, to be present with it. Now, that's quite an interesting concept because there's so much breath work and movement work, but energy work is still a bit woo-woo. But it's roughly 30%. Each, each group is roughly third of, right. third of my practice. Use those, and no, not one is better or worse because they all exist all of the time. Yeah. If you're alive, you're breathing, you're moving, and you have energy. Yeah. Yeah, so that was one of the things that came out of stage one. Now, stage two is the really interesting one at the moment because stage two is what you just described. It's that I'm looking for a magic bullet. In stage two, we call it polarity. And it's when yeah. people have an emotional charge on something. If only my husband would stop doing that, I'd be fine. Or they come to me as a new client and they go, oh, I've been talking to my friend and he says, you can solve all of my problems. But they <laughs> I've had that with practice. Yeah, we all have. It's always a shocker. <laughs> the, the consciousness is really... I don't want to feel anything that's wrong with me. I can't own any of my pain, any of my shadow. But somebody else will take away that need to feel that horrible pain I don't want to feel. And it might be emotional pain, it might be physical, but they're looking for something outside of them. And I think that's the general consciousness of our society at the moment. I do too. And then if you jump ahead to a few of the higher stages, in stage four, you start um, going, I've had enough. I am mm. going to take responsibility for my health. That's when I love. I love clients who come in and say, "That's that's where I that's where I got to." Yeah, exactly that. And that's where I people start getting interesting to work with when they get to that step because you mm. know they want to do more than just fix. And don't get me wrong, I have people in my office who I love to pieces, and they still rely on me to fix them. And that's okay because yeah. that's where they are. That's the stage you're at. And I have people who are so spiritually aware and. And they're connecting to divine energy. They're, they're soul driven. Those people often have problems with their physical body because they've got loads of access to the energetics. That's me. Yeah, that is level. me down to a key. They struggle to be present with their body. Yeah, and you get that's... the you get the love and light brigade. You don't want to go. They just don't want to go into their body because everything's lovely and light and fantastic. Mm. I struggle with them, and I don't luckily have many of them in my office. I, did, mm. I had a period where I got millions. I had a lot to learn about that group. Um, <laughs> yeah. But most of the people I work with who are very spiritual have got a mismatch in between their beliefs and they haven't got the physical body to, to hold it. And that in itself can be very, very painful. So it's really hard. Journey, it's hard. Well, it, it is. And I, but I was brought with a bump. It was 12 years ago. I lost my sight overnight and until that point, I hadn't been in my body. I was, I've, I've been able to connect with divine energy and see spirit and things since I was tiny. And it was when I was 36 and it just hit me like a train and I was made to get into my body. And it, it was, I couldn't see for a year because it's a really rare genetic condition, which meant that my retinas spontaneously detached and I ended up having about 56 hours of surgery, but I spent a year without being able to see anything while I had nine operations, basically. Wow. Um, and it was, oh, my gosh, when you said about movement and breath and feeling the spine, when you when you can't when you can't be in the outside world because literally you can't see it, you have to be in your inner world. Yeah. And it was extraordinary how it changed me. And it's thankfully it, it changed me for good. Um, 
but I'm I agree with you when people don't want to go within when they just want to it's love and light and that's all they want to see and that that spiritual bypassing that happens when they don't want to deal with their stuff I find that really difficult yeah I feel that I, I find that hard and it's part of your history it's part of my history when I first yeah. got, went to network, started studying network, I used to go on seminars and people would check my spine. And I know what they were going to say. They'd go, when did you last get adjusted? I'd be like, last week. And they'd be like, oh. Because what they were feeling was this ridiculously tight, tense body. And they just didn't believe I was getting any regular care. But I was so yeah. tight. I had been so checked out of my body for such a long time. But it took me about a year to really start feeling what some people could feel on the first session. Yeah. And I was like, what's wrong with me? And the SRI, I hated it in the beginning because it required me to pay attention to myself and take responsibility for myself. And Ooh. one of my trainers, yeah, had said, well, you can't do network if you don't do SRI, which was a complete lie. But I was so in love with the network, I just plugged <laughs> away at it and I was teaching people how to do it. And they were telling me all these wonderful experiences and I'm like, bitch, I don't get that experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look back and I go, what pulled me forward? What kept me going with it? Yeah, what was it? Nothing logical. So I call these my soul moments. So my first soul moment was not going to medical school. That was just something higher said no. My second really big soul moment was going to chiropractic school. It was just the completely best thing I could have done. And then another really big one was when I had my first network adjustment and just just changed from... Yeah. Because conventional chiropractic is quite easy. You go, you've got a problem here, that nerve affects this, and I'm going to make it work again. And people can get that model. Yes. That's how we were explaining it at the time. Yes. Now I know that's yes. not correct, but that's how we were explaining it at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and then I said, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a really gentle touch and your body's going to unwind. And you might not feel anything, but trust me, it works. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was like, that's so wacky. It took me three months to transition. And then I just went, you know what? This is my gift. So I, I knew, even though my own body was a mess, I just had a sense of, yeah, I call it a, just a soul moment. And I had an amazing experience really early in my network days. We used to have these events where we were allowed to have people together, where you'd have like 15, 20 people together for one day, call it a clear day. And you'd usually have a relatively experienced practitioner. And they'd do three adjustments and lots of SRI throughout the day. And it'd be really quite intense, like a healing day. Yeah. And I went on my first one of these, like three months into it, because someone told me I should. And I just thought, yeah, whatever. I have no idea what I'm going for. So I got on the bench. And this practitioner I'd never met before touched touched my bum, I think. One contact. And the bench vanished. I became a complete one with the universe. I remember lying. Wow. Don't touch me. I want to stay here. I was so connected. And so and I remember thinking, Oh God, I have to, I have to find out more about this. <laughs> totally expanded um, and, and at one. Amazing. I was complete oneness. And I've had that experience several times since. Um, wow. Sometimes through SRI, sometimes through network, once actually through just putting my hands on somebody. But she was very connected. And so I went how, with <laughs> how does that because you mentioned what well, I mentioned in your bio about people who want to be empowered and sovereign. What does mm. that mean to you? To me, it means lots of things. Again, um, if you're empowered, you take responsibility for your decisions. You get, say you get a diagnosis of something unpleasant, 
and you say, well, my doctor says I have to do this, this and this. No, you don't. You could choose to take your doctor. Choice is the word. You could choose to take your doctor's advice and it might be the right advice for you. Or you could choose to do a different route. Yeah. And being sovereign, being in your power, is about you making the decision. And also knowing that you might not make the right decision, but a decision is better than no decision. Yeah. Because you're taking your power back. Yeah. Just and by making it, that choice. It's sometimes easier to ask people what it means when you're not in your power. If you ask, mm-hmm. particularly women, so how often do you give your power away? So I look back, oh my God. Same. I, I, I can think of the number of times, even in the office, I'm working on somebody and they're like, wow, these things are really shifting. What are you doing different? You must be growing. And I would go, oh, Donnie, my, my mentor's just doing something better and I'm just picking up on it. I would always defer to him. I was like, yeah. what? Yeah, I would always it. make it about somebody else. I would never yeah. actually go, you know what? I'm actually really improving and I'm learning new stuff and I'm able to help you more. Take the compliment. Yes. Own it. I couldn't even own what I could do for, for a long time. I see a lot of things in the body. I don't see in a conventional way, but I know where the energy is. I've been doing a lot on Zoom in the last year, which has been fab, because I can see all the energy blocks in the body and I can see, I call it, I can see someone's story, but then I can help them connect to their story. Yes. And then they can process it. And sometimes mm. I get voices and weird stuff, which you're not allowed to have as a chiropractor because you're almost mainstream now. It's supposed to be super yeah. conventional. Yeah. But it's little things. We all have our gifts. I have a friend who sees, we call her the blob lady because she really sees the field around. And she that's, works, how I, that's how I work, yeah. She works in um, a big corporation. She doesn't work as a healer. Oh, wow. She it's so useful. She says, because I can see what God, yeah. pick off. Absolutely. Room. She's quite senior. She's very, very successful at what she does. She sees the energy. Yeah. I don't, but I know when it's there. It's I funny. We just funny. have different ways of doing it. And I can look at someone's body and I can see the pattern they're in. I can see whether they're in defense. I can see whether they're open to grow. I can wow. see the stage of healing because there were 12 stages. And I can, I can see roughly where their consciousness is or if there's something that's pulling them down. Mm-hmm. And it's partly because I've studied it and studied it and studied it. But it took me until a few years ago to admit that I was an empath. Long mm. time. And I'm kinesthetic. I don't know if you know what that yeah. means. When you touch somebody, when I touch somebody, I don't get touch information always. I get that. But sometimes I get their story literally. Yeah, I, I get exactly the same. Yeah, I get taste. So I was screening a girl <sighs> years ago at a health fair, put my hands on her. And before I could stop myself, I went, oh. And she turned. I was like, I just did that. Because I got a really nasty metallic taste. I just went, I tasted metal. And she went, I was mercury poisoned. How did I look <gasps> in with you? Wow. And I was That's like, phenomenal. I know. And I caught somebody else who was dead. She was really nice. She was a corporate lawyer and terribly prim and proper. And she came in and she, again, it was like, Bleh! I thought, I can't believe I just did that to her because she's so prim and proper. She turned to me and she said, you've caught me. I've just eaten an entire Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> and her body had gone all yucky because she didn't tolerate dairy very well or sugar wow. and she sat in the office that morning and she was in a miserable mood and she'd eaten a large easter egg but it's an interesting one it can be funny and sometimes it's very fascinating useful. and sometimes i wish i didn't have that one because some people taste disgusting um, <laughs> i get that with smells yeah no, so i, I, I can well. actually yeah. smell how pe- i know this is going to sound odd to people listening that that 
maybe haven't experienced it but I can just by being near someone and putting my hands on them I can smell the chemistry of their blood it's really hard to explain but I can I can smell in people's breath and I get an informed I get I get information yeah Yeah, it's just it's incredible really there was a brilliant interview on Radio 4 last year, a few years ago. I don't know, I was driving to work and they were interviewing a med- um, an ER doctor, emergency room from the States, who was synesthetic. And I was just listening and he said, so how does that work for you when you're working? And mm-hmm. the interview was really clever. She said, um, so what happens if someone dies? He said, well, it was really fascinating. She said, the first time there was a code blue, I was a medical student or maybe a first year medic. And I rushed to the scene. And I suddenly became aware that I had completely stopped breathing. And I was driving and I went, <gasps> because I'd listened to the story. I tuned yeah. into him. I tuned into the event. Wow. And it literally ingrained to him. And I was like, and I don't think I breathed for the entire. I thought, wow. And he said, I have to be really careful. He said, now I know that I'm going to tune into what's going on in their body because he used to, he would experience their illnesses. That's how, that's what he's. That's, that's what I get. Yeah. I get exactly the it's same. I'm very so careful someone dies. Yeah. And he was talking about it on radio four. I was like, I mean, that's phenomenal, isn't it? I wish I, I wish I, I didn't write his name down because I was driving, but I wish I had. He sounds wonderful. And he'd written a book about being a synesthetic doctor. And I thought, wow, wow. the world is changing because. Yes. That kind of for that to I, be in the mainstream. Yeah. When I qualified, no one talked about energy. I have loads of clients who see colors. They tell me they see colors. The first one was a big, this big Welshman with um, tattoos and a skinhead. And he used to go, it's okay, Rach, the colours are back. <laughs> I mean, you look at this guy and his image and his personality were not the same. But it really opened me up to someone who you wouldn't expect to be tuned in and switched on. So and He was quite comfy admitting to that. Coming from being trained as a scientist, being ha- having that mainstream um, career and then moving into something that's so energetically varied and you know completely opened you up and expanded you how did that then inform your spirituality so where where are you at now with your spirituality and how how does your work inform that I think it's, I always find putting spirituality into words quite challenging for me I feel that I've come very much in line with my purpose with my soul and I was this sounds a bit I don't know big-headed whatever I was put on this planet to help people heal and to help people I get I think that's big-headed. I think it's just a um, fact. I think my, my spiritual practice, if I have one, is I meditate. I won't tell yeah. you every day, but most days. I do SRI most days because it keeps, gets me... I think the biggest thing in the last 12 months that I've really had to do is there's been so much change and so much awakening in the world that my body yeah. has had to, I've had to work really hard to allow my body oh, to, to, my to stay up, yeah. to catch up with it. Totally. Stay on track because it's been a stupidly stressful year it in has. many, many ways. And yeah, I can tell you I've probably grown on all levels, particularly spiritually, yeah. this year more than I've ever grown before. Why um, do you think? Because I chose to. When I mean, back in March, I got closed. I got closed down. They told me I couldn't practice. So we, I was actually mm. closed for nearly three months. And I remember going home and thinking, what the am I going to do? And I meditated a lot for about a week. And then I spoke to a few of my friends around the world and I, a, I started to realize I could do a lot of this stuff on Zoom. So I took a lot of my business onto Zoom. I started teaching SRI classes. 
I've done a lot of SRI coaching and I know that people all over the world, I work with them because I can read their patterns. I can really help them unwind a lot of the stuff in their body without me being there. Wow, that must wonderful. have been quite a revelation, wasn't it? It's been, I feel like it was a massive, massive gift because I sort of had a hankering to go online for a long time, but I never had an excuse. I needed an excuse. Slightly so I did weekly meetings for the practice and anybody who wanted could just come on and have a chat. And that was free of charge for anybody who just needed to hear another person speak. I did little That's things nice. like that and I did SRI. I did free sessions, just the basic stuff every Wednesday. And then I ran a class that was paid for, but super cheap for everybody else who wanted to go through the whole 12. Sure. And I've carried on doing that. I still teach. I teach an SRI workshop every moment I'm doing them Tuesdays. My next series will be on a Monday for an hour, hour and a half every week. And we go steadily through all 12 stages, really making them real so people can use them, not just learn them, but learn them and then relate them to their lives. How would someone listening find those? Where would they find those? How would they find you? I've got a webpage, racheltolbert.com. And I spell Rachel like Michael, A-E-R. Yeah, yeah. So they can have a look at it. My next one is going to start in the middle of May, I think. Yeah, I just... It's been brilliant. And I've got it's, people, I've just come some, from all different places. Yeah, it's, got connected, it's, didn't we, by a friend. Who's yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if someone's listening and they'd like, if, and they'd like to learn more about this, if, is there one tip or one way that they could just start to get their energy moving towards this? Is there some technique that people listening might be able to, to do that you would share? I have got, I have actually got a Facebook group, which is mainly for my chiropractic business, but there's a little video in there, which is taking people through the basics of stage one. Ah, I will share that. I'll share a link to that on the podcast so people can have a look and and explore. I will spend, I don't know when it will happen. I'll do it in the next few days. I will put it onto rachelcolbert.com as well. People can find it. Wonderful. It just helps people because the the first thing you need to do is actually check where you are. Yeah. And most people want to change. Yes, they don't, I think so. They don't want to change. They don't know what they're trying to change. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Until you know what it is you want to change, you, you're not going to know how to change it. Completely. And what yeah. one brings, I didn't mention earlier, is safety. And so many mm. people, I think a lot of the Love and Light Brigade aren't in oh, their body, not because no. they're bad people, because it's never been safe and no one's ever shown them how. And that's what my stage one works yeah, with. We, ha- we have people safe. <laughs> Honestly, we have so many things in common. And it is the first thing I teach any of my students, any of my clients is about grounding and yeah. being in the body. And it's amazing how many people don't want to ground themselves. I, no. I, 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 it always astounds me. It's the most important thing all of us should be doing is being in the body and being grounded. I think, honestly, a lot of people have to have the bad experience yeah. before they realise. And I... One of the things that motivates me to be out there is it'd be nice that most people don't have to go through what I go I went mm. through, but mm. I Same. had to go through it, and you had to yeah. go through what you went through. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. The good thing is, I look back on getting sick, which I think diabetes was the start for me, and I know it has changed me in so many ways that are for good, because I don't think I'd do what I do today if I hadn't been sick. I don't oh. think I'd have the compassion. When people come in and they're really, really, really struggling and they go, you just don't know how I feel. And I go, you know, I don't know how you feel, but I've had a crap journey too. That helps to hear. 
<laughs> it's compassion isn't it you can yeah. sit in the dark with them you, you, yeah. it is true and I and it's music to my ears hearing that because to me you can turn those challenges into treasure you you yeah. really can that's the way that I've got through it yeah, is finding all the, the treasure in the difficulties and I know you're doing it because <laughs> I keep hearing good things about you uh, <laughs> which is what it's all about it, it it's it, like you it's my life purpose and I love your way of expressing it as a soul moment because that just yeah that speaks to me in volumes I think that's beautiful I think that's been the biggest gift of getting into my body is now mm. I know when it's my soul and I know when it's my my ego I won't tell I get it right all the time no I'm throwing my hands up in but the air more, with glee more, it's, it's like yes. ego is what drove me to do my chemistry degree and to work yeah. in big pharma and it made me miserable as sin yeah. When I gave up my well-paid job, my flat in St Albans, you know, it was all going fine. Sold yeah. everything. People were like, wow. You Are you everything mad? That yeah. yeah, that's what they basically thought. Yeah. But my soul said, you will never be happy if you stay here. I'm not sure I'd be alive. Yeah. I think I might have just popped it because it was so destructive to who I was. Mm. And I, I feel that I get better every decade. I was 50 last year and I'm maybe 51. And honestly, people say, well, how are you doing? You look 40. You I look do. 40. That's ridiculous. 51 in April. Wow. And every decade's got better, but every decade I've got healthier and my habits have improved, my connections improved. My I so needed to hear this today. Changed because and at the moment, don't get me wrong, I'm not finding this time easy at all. I have shit days at the moment when I just, because there's so much stuff going on. What do you world. do when, when you have a shit day? A shit day? A shit day. How do you process that and how do you get yourself back to a place that where you feel empowered again? I have different tactics. But probably the two main ones for me are either SRI or exercise or both. So I'm very lucky. I live in a village in the countryside. So if I get out into nature, sometimes that's all I need to do. But I always, I'll either meditate or do SRI. And, like, and when I do it, when I'm in a shit place, often it's like I'm dark. Mm. there's not as much light and there's not as much movement and I don't feel like I'm sparkly but when I'm in a good place I'm so much more able there's much more of me I'm bigger it's like I contract Mm. and there's contracting in a healthy way and there's contracting in a not so healthy way yeah and when I'm having a shit day it's the unhealthy way usually I don't tend to leave my body anymore I tend to be in just hidden I, have to go I call it going into the cave. That's the way yeah. I always express it. Is I go into the cave for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I just have um, to do things and, that reconnect me. Yeah. And you all have yours yeah. and they won't be the same as mine. Totally. Mine are, I live somewhere. I love that. I'm in the north of England. I love where I live. And I just get outside, whatever the weather. And it's like, remember who Mother Earth is, because for me, yes. the big thing we have to do moving Perfect. forward, it's not body, mind and soul anymore. It's body, mind, soul or spirit, whichever you want to call it, and planet. And that's where I, I think we I couldn't put today, it better. That's the yeah. bit we've lost. Because I've been yes. connecting people to their body, mind, and soul for 20 years. And I haven't been connecting them to the planet or helping yeah. them or even suggesting that they might want to do that. So I look back and I used to, certain people, I go, you just need to walk more. And they'd laugh because they were very soul driven people mm-hmm. who were struggling. And as soon as they went for a walk, they felt better. Yeah. So I was doing it indirectly. Now I'm becoming a yeah. lot more conscious. And You're doing it more consciously. 2020's given me. It started to come through my meditations about September last year. 
And I've started, when I meditate, sometimes I go down to the Earth Star Chakra, which some people are starting to yeah. think about, which is a meter below. But I was yeah. already doing it. And then someone gave me the name. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. I've been playing with that for a while. Yeah. And when I do that, it's a simple way of grounding me, but it remembers I'm part of the Earth. I'm not we, are, we are a production offer. We are I will go we're part of the ecosystem. I'll go back to it. And I came yeah. from it, and I'll go back to it. Exactly. It's, it's that reminder that has been the biggest. I had this, this year. I had this wonderful experience. I had a, when I couldn't see, we adopted a, well, I adopted a cat a few months before I lost my sight called Nelson and he had one eye. Um, and ironically that I would soon come to lose my sight. And anyway, that cat got me through the, that awful first year stayed by my side was with me all the time when he passed away I knew he would pass away once I got kind of like an all clear and I was at the point where all my treatment would stop which he did and I was with him when he was gently put to sleep and there was a moment being a medium and being connected to spirit I just assumed the soul would go upwards it didn't it went downwards and I watched his soul as he left his body I watched his soul. It's making me go goosey telling you, but he it went from his head through his body, through his chakras, and he actually went back into the earth. I saw it with my own eyes, and it was it was extraordinary. I've never I've I'd never seen that before. I'd been with people when they passed away, but not so consciously aware. And it was a revelation to me because I knew we were. This is probably about seven years ago now, six mm. years ago. But I knew we were. I knew we were of the earth and I knew we had to connect with the earth because like I said, I've always been strict with grounding, but actually watching his soul go back to the earth, it doesn't go up to heaven like we're told. It goes into the earth. Wow. And, and I saw it and the vet could feel it. Um, and I, 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 yeah, it was extraordinary. And it changed everything for me at the time. Do you know what I love about that? Because I always talk about soul moments and one of my early soul moments was at chiropractic school, I did go in quite medical. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I was still in the paradigm. Yeah. And a fourth year, we had a guy come in and talk to us. He's, I now know he's a very famous chiropractor, but I'd never heard of him. We had philosophy lectures every couple of weeks, and they were optional. And I used to go to the ball, but most people didn't. They liked any of us. I got to the lecture, 200 people. I got literally the last seat in the room. The rest were sitting on the stairs. It was wedged. I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. And he opened with this, and this changed me. Said so he said, You've got a woman in a hospital bed, heart's beating, lungs breathing. She's alive. Boom. She's gone. Where did it go? And in that moment I just went, Oh, something animates the body. And that was my wake up moment at Carl Patrick School. Yeah. And he spoke for two hours, I haven't got a clue what he talked about. Because I spent the whole two hours going, oh, my God, I got it wrong because I wasn't conscious. But he, that was the biggest seed. It was like there's something in the body that we need that goes when we die. I believe it's seven grams. So do I. Oh, my God. Yes. I heard that from somewhere. So do I. He just said it. And I was like, oh. (laughs) And I I, 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 I didn't go... 
Yes, I do. I'd even go so far as to say I don't even know if it's within the body or just outside of the body, but it's connected. It's, part. it's what animates the body. Yeah, because I think I, we're I, inland. I think we're around. We have like a body, yes, an aura, whatever yes, you want to call it. I do yes. believe, but it has some. It's energy, and energy has weight because energy has mass. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I just remember. Oh, that I love that. And I, I was like, I, I oh, love it. and that was probably the moment when I suddenly realised I wasn't going to be a clunk click fix your back and I'll see you if it's if it comes back type person I practice what have you got but yeah (laughs) what have you got left to achieve what are your dreams to come do you know where are you heading and what's next for you that's a huge question you know I don't know I think with all the uncertainty in the world at the moment it's actually bringing me even more into present time consciousness I have definitely got a belief in the last year has really helped to reinforce that, that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. So, and it's also shown me how adaptable I can be. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things we tell people with network chiropractic, it'll make you more adaptable. And my God, has that been proven to me this year? Because I have been so adaptable. So, Got to be the I, epitome of it. I don't know. I just know I want to carry on working with people. I want to carry on making a difference. I want to help heal the planet. I want to help heal, heal in some way. Mm. And I think I'm becoming a lot more, a lot more responsible about what I do. Because my carbon footprint wasn't brilliant. I've been flying all over the world training and things. And I know that it was unsustainable. So yeah. I, I don't know. I just know that I'm in, I'm in a job I absolutely adore. I get to work with people that are so interesting and so varied I love that I've got my little coaching business now and I wouldn't want to give up either of my businesses I really enjoy that I've got clients on the long side of America or Australia and then I've got I go to my office which is 15 minutes away and I see people from Cheshire who are just fantastic I feel incredibly blessed at this moment and the world's gone crazy I don't know what it's going to look like in two weeks, let alone two years at the moment. I just have this deep-seated belief that I will come through and at some point the world will be a really great place to live in again. I believe that too. (laughs) Yeah. We've got to, otherwise you you have to trust and have faith in that because the alternative isn't isn't one I want to sit in. The planet is stunning and I still... Mm. so grateful we made the decisions we did and we're where we are because we did choose to live in a country rather than a big city and that yeah. was quite a big decision for us because we're both different people my husband's yeah. from Berlin I'm from Manchester we used to be wow. in a big city but yeah so I can't answer that right any more than I don't know what I want to no, do no I think you answered it beautifully I want beautifully to be, I, all I can tell you is I'm going to carry on being as true to me as I can be because yeah. whenever I do that, life's good. And when I don't, it sucks. <laughs> you're wonderful. I'm, I'm so grateful that you joined me today. I, I really do hope you'll come and join me again, because I feel like we've only scratched the surface of the things we could, we could talk about. Okay. I'd really love you to join me again. And I know we're going to do a live, aren't we, together? We so um, anyone listening to this, if, if you come to my Facebook page, Joe Duckfield, for the whole of you, um, Rachel will be um, joining me soon there's all dates up on the page um, and that you know if you listen to the interview you'll know that's going to be very special 
So it just leaves me to say thank you so much. Um, thank you to the listeners. And I, I really would love for you to get in touch with how you feel about Rachel's interview. And if there's anything you'd like to share, you can um, email me at spirituallygiftedpodcast at yahoo.com. And you can find Rachel at racheltorbert.com. And we'll put all the links and everything in the description. So you can go check that out and connect with her. So thank you very much, Rachel. And um, I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. You've been listening to Spiritually Gifted with host Joe Dutfield. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please keep in touch via our Facebook page, Spiritually Gifted Podcast, or by email to spirituallygiftedpodcast at yahoo.com. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, take care.